Welcome to Alchemy Radio, the home of the open mind. Thanks for tuning in and hopefully you're enjoying the show and the eye-opening and ear-opening guests that we bring to you with much variety on a regular basis. We rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format, as you know, and we're extremely grateful for any help that you can offer. We have no fixed costs on your donations and every little bit helps, so we will gratefully accept anything that you can provide, even if it's as small as the price of a cup of coffee every month. It certainly goes a long way towards keeping us afloat, and our donate button is on the website with your support and assistance hugely appreciated. Check out our Twitter account, twitter.com forward slash alchemy radio. Get following and interacting with us with your feedback, guests suggestions and other input and you'll also find us on Facebook. So onto the show. This week's guest is Dave Asprey. Dave is the founder of the Bulletproof Executive. He's a Silicon Valley investor and technology entrepreneur who spent 15 years and over $300,000 to hack his own biology. Dave lost 100 pounds without counting calories or excessive exercise, used techniques to upgrade his brain by more than 20 IQ points and lowered his biological age while learning to sleep more efficiently in less time. Learning to do these seemingly impossible things transformed him into a better entrepreneur, a better husband, and a better father. And he's here to talk about his story. Dave Asprey, you're very welcome to Alchemy Radio. How are things? Things are great, John. Really glad to be here. Well, really glad to have you on because I've been a close follower of your work, as has Stevie, uh, my show producer. And it was him who initially turned me on to the stuff that you were doing. I've heard you many times, of course, on Joe Rogan's podcast as well. And you're a busy, busy man with so many strings to the bow. So before we get into some of those strings, just give us a little bit of background on yourself and how I suppose you followed the path that you did follow in your life. I just turned 41 and about 15, 16 years ago, I started upgrading myself. I was fortunate. I made $6 million when I was 26. And of course, the company that helped me do that went bankrupt a couple of years later. So I lost a lot of that explored the effects of massive amounts of stress on life and realized that weighing 300 pounds and uh, in EU speak, that's some number of stone. Was that uh, 20? It was a large number of stones anyway. Yeah, a lot of stones. <laughs> I'll look it up while you're speaking here. <laughs> there you go. And uh, uh, I think a stone is 20 pounds, but I could be wrong. Uh, anyhow, I was fat, uh, quite fat. And I worked out all the time to try and lose this weight for 18 months. I literally worked out six days a week for an hour and a half a day, half cardio, half heavy weights, and I just couldn't lose weight. Wow. I ate less fat and less calories than my thin friends, and I finally realized that, you know, it's not me. It's not that I'm not trying hard enough. It's that there's something wrong with the assumptions I have. And that kind of launched me on this path where I lost 100 pounds, and I've kept it off for more than 10 years. I've radically rewired the way my brain and nervous system work. Uh, to the point that I used to have the symptoms of Asperger's syndrome, and I've been diagnosed with uh, ADHD. And today, you know, I've run strategy for two different companies uh, worth more than a billion dollars. And uh, you know, I run the number one ranked health podcast on iTunes. And I'm I, just my brain is different. I'm neurologically different. Uh, I look better now at 40 than I did when I was a fat, inflamed kid. So to be able to do that took about $300,000 in investments. And I started the Bulletproof Executive blog, which gets about a million people a month coming to it now, uh, as a way to share the knowledge that I've, I've put together for my own benefit in order to support my own career and my own just continued survival as well as continued performance. I realized if I had had this information when I was 16, my life would be radically different and I would have suffered a lot less than I had. And I realized that by putting the info out there for free, uh, that maybe I could help a few people and it's worked out even better than I imagined. Well, it's an amazing story. I looked it up there. 21 stone is what you were. So to go from 21 stone right down and to be able to keep it off because so many people, when they do manage to lose such a dramatic amount of weight, they actually have um, kind of side effects from losing the weight and they encounter other health problems along the way. But one of the terms that's been, I suppose, associated closely with you down through the years is biohacking. So you basically decided to hack your own biology. Can you tell us a little bit about how that process began and where it took you? But it kind of helps that I studied computer science. Uh, 
sometimes people don't don't really believe this, but I'm the first guy to sell anything over the internet. Like the first example of e-commerce in history, as far as we can tell, was me selling caffeine t-shirts to 12 countries out of my dorm room before the web browser was created. And there's, you know, hundreds of magazine articles about this in the early 90s, uh, some of which you can find on the site. So it's pretty well shown. And from there, I went off to the company that ended up creating modern cloud computing, a company called Exodus Communications. Uh-huh. And uh, this was the company where Hotmail's first servers, Google's first servers, Yahoo's servers all lived. And what that means is I got used to managing really complex systems with thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of servers and all these network elements and things where we just don't know the state of everything, but we still have to be able to influence it. And it turns out the human body can be managed the same way. It's a huge complex system. And if you can understand what pushing one variable in one direction does to the system, you can make changes. And this gives rise to the science of epigenetics, where we look at how the environment changes your genetic expression. In fact, my first book was about that. Like, what do you do before and during pregnancy to have kids with healthier genes and better brains? Mm. Wiley published that book in January of uh, 2013. It's called The Better Baby Book. So I, I just took thinking and techniques from computer science and applied them towards my own body, monitoring the performance of the system versus just one element of the system and saying, all right, all things put together, including the variables I can identify and the ones I don't know about, what's the output and what do I do to change the output? And when I started doing that for my own cognitive function, uh, good things happened. So tell us about some of those good things. And another question that I have for you, uh, not to pose too many too early, but I'm fascinated by the idea that um, some of what I suppose exists in conventional biology and conventional medicine um, or weight loss programs or anything to do with biology, so much of it you must have encountered as as being wrong and discovered that, hang on a minute, I'm being told to do A, B, C and D when actually I should be doing X, Y and Z. And to discover that for yourself must have been such such an amazing and empowering kind of an experience. It it is uh, really empowering. It's also something that makes you mad and then makes you evangelical. Yeah, and there's a, a thread on Facebook right now uh, on the Bulletproof page. It's a facebook.com slash Bulletproof Executive. But I mentioned, well, you know, someone lost 200 pounds on the Bulletproof diet and um, I made some changes in the way I'm sharing information and a whole bunch of people piled in. Oh, yeah, I lost 100 pounds. What do I? So there's five or six people who've lost a ton of weight in relative short periods of time using these techniques so to be able to see stuff like that for me uh, is it, it's it just sort of makes me feel so motivated and and just happy about this. But it also makes me kind of upset because when I lost my first fifty pounds, I was pissed. I'm like, oh my god, I have all this mental energy I didn't have before, and I can see my ribs and my feet for the first time in years, and. I'm doing the exact opposite of what everyone told me to do. So then you, you just want to tell everyone around you and everyone around you is like, oh my God, talk to the hand. I, I don't want to hear this. You know, I want to eat my, my you know, pizza margarine roll-up pocket from the freezer section, whatever whatever their, their drug of choice slash food of choice is. Mm. So I had to go through a period of time where I would kind of get up a little, I just upset a little bit angry like like why did everyone lie to me but it wasn't people lying and this is something that i learned from my computer science background and when you get large complex interacting systems you get something called emergent behaviors and it's not that there's a a conspiracy to make people eat food that makes them weak it's that when you optimize an economic system to make money What's going to happen is you're going to create foods that people want to eat more of. Mm. In fact, you're going to create foods that are outright addictive. And you're not going to do it because, you know, you, you have a bad motive. You're going to do it because you're trying to, you know, increase shareholder value. And you won't do it in one decision. You'll do it in a million micro decisions from thousands of people at different companies. And what emerges is junk food, where you eat it and it gives you a craving for more junk food. There's a reason they say for Pringles you can't eat just one. It's because they ended up evolving to be a food that makes you eat more food. Same thing happens in the restaurant business. There's a reason there's MSG that's not labeled as MSG in the food because it sells more drinks, it sells dessert, and it's just a natural, normal thing. And the chef, who really means well, knows if I use this amazing blend of of tasty spices, people like the food more because they eat more of it. Therefore, it's good. So we have all these little things that happen 
But as a biohacker, I started paying attention to them. And instead of optimizing for flavor or optimizing for the cheapest possible food, I said, what are the foods that lower inflammation the most and increase performance the most? And when I started looking at the world through a performance lens instead of a cost lens or a taste lens, oh my God, everything changed. And that's what I do as a biohacker. How do I change the environment around me? How do I change what's in my body, the way my cells work? How do I give them what they need so that I can perform at levels, honestly, I didn't know about when I was younger? Well, I can hear some people now shouting at the uh, the radio or the computer screen. They're thinking, yeah, right, Dave is great and I really like what he's doing, but he must be an exceptional person because there's no way I could not have my food of choice. There's no way I could have time to prepare the wholesome food that's required or I don't have the budget to do it. So let's have a little look at that. And when you started off discovering that you shouldn't have been eating certain foods and that you should have been doing things differently, how difficult that may have been, I suppose, to break the habit, habit of a lifetime. The, the hardest one to break for most people is gluten. This is the protein found in wheat. And there's a reason it's hard to break. It's because when gluten breaks down in the gut, it forms something called gluteomorphin. Gluteomorphin, it sounds like morphine because it is an opiate and it activates the opiate receptors in your brain. So what most ill-informed people do is they'll say, I'm going to eat less gluten. This is the same as a heroin addict saying, I'm going to use less heroin this week you're doomed to fail. You need to stop using heroin or stop eating wheat. And when you stop entirely, you'll go through withdrawals for about four days. You'll be tired. You'll have brain fog and cravings. And there's pointers on the hint about, or sorry, pointers on the blog or hints on the blog yeah. about what you can do in order to even deal with those cravings. But once you're clean in about four or five days, you'll find that you like the taste of bread, but you don't crave it the way you did before. And as long as you don't accidentally eat some gluten that's hidden in a processed restaurant food, then you don't get the cravings. In fact, if you do what I recommend on the Bulletproof Diet, those foods I'm recommending specifically turn off cravings to the point that I can go 24 hours without eating and I'm fine. I, I just was on a flight last week that was delayed and rerouted to another city because there was a mechanical problem. And I went 12 hours without eating and people were literally panicking on the plane. Like, we, we don't have any food. What are we going to do? And sitting there going, all I had for breakfast was bulletproof coffee. And it's 12 hours later. And honestly, like I could eat, but I'm not starving. I'm not going to die. My biology is stable and I have zero food cravings. Whereas people around me, I think we're about ready to pick up potato chip crumbs from under the seat in front of them and like do lines of them or something. It, it, <laughs> it, such a difference between the world they live in, the world I live in, because my biology isn't starving because I give it high nutrient density foods that don't cause cravings. I don't live with food cravings. I don't even care about food other than I like it to taste good. I like it to fuel me optimally, but there is no weird emotional or physical addiction the way there was for me when I was younger. Okay, and you mentioned bulletproof coffee there. Um, let's talk about that for a little while because that's something that's kind of spreading certainly over the, U the US and Canada and into Europe now as well. And it's really taking, any anyone who takes it or drinks it, it's taking them by storm and it's something that they want to shout about from the rooftop. So tell us, Dave, what is bulletproof coffee and why is it so effective? What does it do for us? It's something I'm really just pleased to have, have created for my own use. I decided a while back that I wanted to really up the fat in my diet because fat is a preferred fuel for the brain and for building hormones and for making healthy cell membranes. And I also was doing an experiment where I wanted to eat 4,000 calories a day to see how quickly it would make me gain weight. Mm. turns out after two years of 4,000 calories a day with no exercise, I actually had lost some weight and, and grew a six pack. That's a different story. So I started applying what I learned in Tibet, which was I felt amazing when I would drink yak butter tea. I was at 18,000 feet elevation. Um, I can convert that to meters, whatever, six or between six and 8,000 meters, depending on what I was doing. And I, normally you feel like you're going to die at high altitude. It's really unpleasant. But if I drank this weird Tibetan concoction of tea mixed up with butter, I felt really good. I came back to the States and I started experimenting and tea mixed with American butter was gross. So I ended up coming down to the idea that I could mix coffee and grass-fed butter. It turns out Kerrygold Irish butter is uh, you know, the most commonly available source of grass-fed butter in the U.S. So I'd mix those things in a blender, and I got some effect, but there were a couple problems. One, different coffee messes you up, and there are 
very serious problems in the coffee industry, which we can talk about, about why each cup of coffee you have doesn't make you feel the same. Yeah. And then I added something called brain octane. This is rocket fuel for your brain, basically. It's extracted from coconut oil. It's 4% of the oil in coconut oil, the 4% that goes directly to energy. It, it's a kind of fat that burns like a carbohydrate, and it's a preferred fuel source for the brain. When you mix those things together and you blend them, you end up feeling amazing. So it's upgraded coffee beans, which I've lab tested to be free of the things in coffee that make you tired, to make you crash from caffeine. So you get a very clean cognitive boost from it. Even I've done a study, an IRB approved study about uh, what happens to executive function on my coffee beans versus normal coffee beans. There's a difference. Then grass-fed butter and brain octane oil. It's that combination blended will turn off food cravings for six or even eight hours and it gives you a boost in energy like nothing you've ever felt uh, to the point that people have used this to lose massive amounts of weight, but also just to perform well. Half the world championship poker players at the table, the final table, were on Bulletproof Coffee. In fact, one of them has a Bulletproof patch on his shirt. Uh, it's done such wonders for his brain. I've got world champion professional athletes, mixed martial art fighters, uh, Hollywood movie producers, um, billboard ranked artists they're all using bulletproof coffee using upgraded coffee beans using brain octane oil and usually carry gold butter and they do it because they look better and they feel better like it, it's a huge improvement in how you function and added to that it's also quite delicious as well which is also going to help a lot of people because that is a primary concern for so many it's only delicious if you don't use salted butter because salt in your coffee makes like coffee soup it's gross it's got to be unsalted <laughs> butter please <laughs> for your own sake. Absolutely, make it yeah. So let's look at the constituents uh, then again, because there are a lot of people who say, well, well, I'm not a coffee drinker. Coffee, as you said earlier, makes me crash. There's no way I'm going to try this stuff. So let's look at why it doesn't cause the crash, why there's a stability and a consistency in, um, in, in what you're actually ingesting. Because as you mentioned, it's very different from just making your normal cup of coffee where things can kind of sway and vary wildly. You know, most coffee has problems in the way it's produced and transported. Coffee is an agricultural product. It comes from all over the planet. There's been wars fought over coffee. In fact, most wars fought in the last 300 years have been fueled by coffee in that the soldiers uh, considered coffee as a strategic asset and uh, made went to amazing lengths to make sure that there was coffee production. This includes World War II, where they actually opened up coffee roasteries. The military ran their own coffee roasteries in Europe for allied troops to make sure there was enough coffee so that they could win the war. Wow. <laughs> so uh, the problem, though, is it's not all the same and the supply chain's broken. So just like I mentioned earlier, we have these things. Do you want it cheap or do you want it to taste good? Mm. The coffee industry is the same way. You want cheap, you go for the instant or you know the the low quality grocery store coffee, or you want it to taste good. You go to you know a, a store with a you know a logo a logo like a Costa Coffee or a, a Starbucks or one of the other big chains uh, that's out there, and then that's the quote taste good coffee. But in reality, it's a mixture of taste good or cheap. Well, the idea of Processing coffee for neither one of those variables occurred to me, and I went through it, and I looked at all the steps in coffee that introduce toxins to coffee. And I did this not because I wanted to create a new product, but I really like coffee. I gave up coffee for five years because I would drink it, and then I would get a headache, or I would get aggressive and cranky, and then I'd crash. So I was like kind of going up and down all day every day when I would drink coffee. So I gave it up for five years, and every now and then I'd drink one, and I'd feel good, and then I'd say, great, I'm not allergic anymore. And then I'd drink coffee the next day, and it would knock me out. Hmm. One day I realized it wasn't me. It was the beans. So I went through and I fixed the process for making coffee that always makes you feel good. And then I use lab testing uh, far beyond what any other company does to verify that the beans my process makes actually don't contain the things that make you weak. And the difference is it's like using coffee as an herbal supplement almost versus using coffee as just a, a beverage you can drink. It, it's not like all coffee is the same and it's not even like this is good coffee versus bad coffee. It's this is coffee that makes you perform well versus coffee that contains toxins because it was processed in a way that was cheap. Mm. So when you speak about upgraded coffee, that's exactly what you're talking about then. 
Yeah, and it, it was not a simple thing to make. The supply chain for coffee is very complex. And the process that they do at the plantation where they grow coffee also matters very enormously. Most of the time what they do is they take the coffee and they use one of two big processes. They either let it spoil in a bucket of water or you know big vat mm. and then they rinse it off and dry it sometimes by just putting it out in the sun and then all right there you go there's your green coffee and they ship it off. The problem is that while it's sitting there in that water you get contaminants that form. These are from toxic molds. In fact they form at such a level that the EU has a limit of uh, five parts per billion of one of these toxins that's that's allowed, no more than that. My argument would be that five parts per billion is still too many, but you can't see or smell or taste five parts per billion of this specific mold toxin. And the truth is that there are many other toxins that form in coffee when it's processed improperly. I went through and figured out what those toxins are, how to prevent them, and then I test bulletproof coffee beans, the upgraded coffee beans, to make sure that those aren't present. I'm using coffee as a performance-enhancing substance that just so happens to taste really good and make you feel awesome. But it's there, and it's in fact, it it shows in the study that we did that people who drink coffee made with these beans on seven of nine measures of cognitive function, they they perform better. So the end result, speaking like a biohacker, is that People can do things faster in their head. Their working memory is better when they're using this coffee versus normal coffee. So there's a provable difference both in the biochemistry and in the final end result of what it does to the human brain. And I think that's the beauty of it for so many people, certainly for me, Dave, because it's not just anecdotal evidence. You can actually back this up with facts and figures and and evidence. So this stuff really does work, and it's a complete bonus that it tastes good. So you mentioned the fact that you can go without cravings or go without eating um, without being hungry really for quite some time after having a, a cup of bulletproof coffee in the morning. Could that be perceived as a negative thing at all in that people who should be getting nutrients from other forms of food throughout the day might necessarily not be doing so if, for example, they're not trying to lose weight? That is a great question. The Swedish low-carb community went through this huge debate about a year ago about whether bulletproof coffee causes anorexia, which is kind of laughable because it is seriously high-quality calories. Your body craves the type of saturated fat, particularly short-chain fatty acids that are in butter. And the the brain octane oil contains one of the four lengths of medium chain triglycerides that really fuels the body. So it's a nutrient rich source of, of calories. And the fact that it doesn't make you crave biscuits or uh, bagels or buttered bread and all those other things is not a downside. People who drink Bulletproof coffee, when they do decide to eat, they're not going to be uninterested in eating. They're going to eat, but they're going to eat like a healthy animal would eat, which means instead of just, you know, nibbling a little bit here and grazing throughout the day, which is complete BS metabolically, what they're going to do is they're going to eat. They're going to eat like, oh, wow, I don't know when I'm going to have some more food again, so I better fill up. So when I eat dinner, I'm eating a real dinner. I eat the same amount of calories or more than the average person my weight. I just do most of my eating around late lunch and dinner time. Mm. And I just don't bother eating. All I have is is coffee and fat. And the interesting thing is when you only have fat with no sugar, no carbohydrate, and no protein, your body still thinks you're fasting. You get all the energy. You get the boost. You get the satisfaction. But your metabolic machinery that breaks down protein or processes sugar never gets turned on. So you get benefits of actually fasting even though you experience the calories. That's absolutely fascinating because it flies completely in the face of accepted or conventional Um, advice. I remember growing up and I was always told, well, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, so have a healthy bowl of porridge or have a slice of toast filled with gluten or whatever, and that's going to kickstart your metabolism and ensure that uh, that you have a healthy day then. But that's not necessarily the case at all. I mean, you're completely contradicting that. I would say that the the evidence speaks for itself. Do a search for bulletproof coffee with quotes around it. Mm. You'll find half a million Google search results for it. (laughs) It just works. And everyone who's tried it goes, I didn't think it would work. I thought it would be gross. It's not gross. It tastes amazing. And I got a huge burst of energy. I feel great. 
And another question I'm going to come on to, uh, you mentioned Kerrygold as a particular brand, and I suppose that's one of the most common brands of butter in Ireland. It's also a, the type of butter that most people are told not to eat because it's full of saturated fat and you should stick to a low fat spread. And I mean, there is, there's this massive campaign, certainly in the Western world, to to avoid fat almost completely and avoid cholesterol and if all these things are bad and that's what we're told all the time. Um, you have found so much evidence to the complete contrary to that. So let's talk a little bit about good butter versus bad butter or um, processed butter or margarine and that kind of thing because th- they're massively different and it's not the case that just because something is low in fat that it's good for you. You know, it, it's really simplistic to say fat's good or fat's bad. In fact, let's talk about protein. If I said, John you need to eat 30 grams of protein, you'd probably say, okay, I can eat 30 grams of protein. And then I'd say, here's a bowl of spider venom. Mm. It's all protein. Enjoy. You would not eat that. And if I said, here's a bowl of eggs, you'd probably say, all right, I'll eat the eggs. Yeah. So intuitively, we know some protein is good for you and some protein is maybe not so good for you, right? It's not a logical leap. Why is it then that all fat is bad for us? It's total BS. Some fat makes you thin. Some fat makes you smarter. Some fat makes you fatter and, and dumber. So given that, what I do on the Bulletproof diet and what I do in Bulletproof coffee is I pick the fats that turn down inflammation and have positive effects on hormone creation or energy levels in the body. So don't be fooled by simple marketing stuff that says fat is bad or even saturated fat is bad. There is not evidence that saturated fat is in fact, there's not even evidence that it causes heart disease. There are lots of things that can come with saturated fat, like hormone disruptors from industrial food, like antibiotic residues that can come in fat. And also, saturated fat from different sources has different effects on the body. So it's just not that simple. If you eat your fat from grass-fed butter, if you eat your fat from things like coconut oil and things like avocados and wild-caught salmon, not the farmed stuff. Mm. Um, by the way, if you're listening to this and you're from Norway, you should be ashamed of what your your companies, your fish farming Norwegian companies are doing to the world's fish ecosystem right now. Um, it's, it, it's an embarrassing time to be Norwegian, to be perfectly honest. I say that, by the way, married to a Swede. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyway, um, we have... We have a need as humans to eat some fish oil from wild-caught fish and a lot of saturated fat. Egg yolks are amazing. So when people get that, they go, well, I could die. That's not what the science shows. Half the people who have heart attacks don't have high cholesterol. And the state of oxidation of the cholesterol and really the state of inflammation in your body are what determine your likelihood of getting a heart attack. Inflammation is far more important than cholesterol levels. So you should track your inflammation and stop paying so much attention to cholesterol. It turns out we track cholesterol because it's something that's easy to track and it's been easy to track since the 1930s. It's not the most important variable. In fact, it's not even a very useful variable to look at your total cholesterol or your good cholesterol or bad cholesterol. Those are ancient things we could measure that we spend a lot of time paying attention to because it makes a lot of money. It does not influence our health the way we've been told it does. Well, you mentioned inflammation there, and that's not a word that's used. It's not really in the the common lexicon when it comes to disease or um, any kind of malaise within the body. I mean, cholesterol is one we hear about all the time. There's the unfortunate link between the word fat and then the, the state of being that is fat as well. I think the language trips a lot of people up because they assume that when they hear the word fat, it's a negative thing because they perceive body image or a heavy body image as being negative. So that's a problem for a lot of people, and it does trip them up, but... Talk a little bit more, please, if you would, Dave, about inflammation and what that means for a person. Because most people, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, but a lot of people will say, you know, inflammation, well, I don't have an inflamed thumb or my toe is the right size or I don't have any kind of external obvious injury. So what are you talking about inflammation? Because if I have inflammation, I'll get some kind of a salve and I'll put it on my skin and that'll sort that out. But that's not what we're talking about here, is it? It's one of the types. Inflamed skin... uh it shows itself in the form of acne. So if you wake up and you have a second chin that you don't always have, or you have puffiness under your eyes, that's inflammation. Those are obvious signs of inflammation. But the one area where it shows the most is around your waist. So some days your pants are a little tighter than other days, right? That's not because 
you got fatter. It's because you have more inflammation around your midsection. So the first place you're going to see this is in what uh, women like to call muffin top or love handles or whatever the the right word for that is. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not Uh, sure what the scientific term is. Yeah, uh, whatever, visceral something, something. uh, (laughs) I don't know the, the scientific word for love handles either. But that... Those come and go, and people know those come and go. Why do you think that those come and go? You cannot gain two pounds of fat in one day. It doesn't happen, Mm. right? It happens because you got inflammation. Something irritated your body, your immune system reacted, and there you go. There's also something called water weight that happens as you eat more carbohydrates, you start to store more water. For every gram of sugar that you're storing in your body, you need two more grams of water. But when you wake up and you're a little stiff and sore and you know that knee that hurts sometimes, that's inflammation. Uh, your joints are a little stiff. Your grip isn't as strong as it should be, but oh, you'll be fine once you kind of wake up and have your coffee. That's inflammation. You wake up and inflammation in the brain, oh, I, I just can't get going today. My my brain doesn't work very well. I'm, I, I kind of feel foggy and cloudy, but you know, I'll be all right. That's inflammation. And the way that impacts you inside your arteries is if you have inflammation on the lining of your arteries, your body will use cholesterol, which is a repair and healing agent that way to stick to those lesions. And it'll do that to try and patch and repair them. And yes, you can get cholesterol build up there. By the way, the fat that builds up there, the so-called cholesterol, more of it is unsaturated than saturated, but you can have it build up and it can break loose and it can contribute to a heart attack. However, calcification of those inflamed parts is a bigger risk and that's what causes a lot of heart attacks and that comes down to not just having inflammation but having inflammation and an imbalance of calcium and magnesium in the body so when people take more magnesium when people eat the right kinds of fat that calm inflammation in their body when they stop eating things like tofu and gluten that increase inflammation what we find in blood chemistry is that they're markers of inflammation, things like LPPLA2, which is a much better predictor of whether you're going to get a heart attack than cholesterol, that those things drop dramatically. In fact, when people go on the Bulletproof diet and start following the recommendations to avoid inflammatory foods, what I see is that all of the markers of inflammation that we can look at, like homocysteine and C-reactive protein, those all drop through the floor in about six weeks. So you can turn inflammation way down, and when you do that, the first thing you'll feel is a burst of mental energy. And the second thing you'll experience is that you look different in the mirror. But the cool thing is your brain turns on before you start looking better and your pants start fitting better. And I suppose that's the most important thing as well because even even when we go to uh, the Bulletproof Executive website, some of the claims on the, on, on the homepage are quite startling when you actually look at them if you don't know anything about what they are about. So Lose 100 pounds of fat with minimal exercise. We've kind of covered that there already. Upgrade your IQ by more than 20 points. That's a massive jump. I mean, a literal IQ jump. I was told in school growing up that the only way to boost your IQ was to study hard and eat loads of fish. You know, there's something to be said for loads of fish, uh, but not excessive fish, because Mm. if you're only eating omega-3 oils, it's not going to work as well as if you have saturated fat from clean sources and some fish oil. But... It turns out even fish oil isn't going to raise your IQ. There are a variety of technologies that are proven to raise your IQ. One of them, uh, I'm actually putting together a program to help people do it better. But uh, in the right now, you can get an open source software package. This is a free way of adding at least 10 IQ points. It's called Brain Workshop. It's uh, an open source software uh, that you can get. It's incredibly difficult to use. You put the software on your machine and it just trains you to double your working memory with a very boring, very frustrating brain game. And you play the game and it makes you angry. Like it literally makes you feel like a failure because you've realized that your brain can't do something that is relatively simple and it frustrates you continuously. If you have the willpower and fortitude to keep doing the video game, despite the fact that you feel like the world's biggest loser, uh, After about 14 days of suffering, suddenly you find that your brain starts making new synapses in a process called synaptogenesis. And suddenly at the end of this time, 
you can remember more things at a time than you could before. And the effect of that on IQ is that it raises your IQ. Uh, I got 12 IQ points in 20 days doing this. And I tested my IQ before and after using similar but different IQ tests. Uh, one of the problems with raising IQ is that if you take the same IQ test twice, the second time your IQ goes up. So you, can, you have to take different types of tests on the before and after. But uh, um, other people who've tried this and actually succeeded have done well. My executive coaching clients, I, I coach a very select few people, typically very successful business people, on how to increase human performance. And even those guys, very few of them are willing to put in 20 minutes of suffering a day for 20 days uh, because the brain does not like to be pushed that way. But when it does, you can get 12 IQ points right there. There are a variety of supplements I discuss on the site that can increase mitochondrial function, the energy plant uh, production in the cells, and that can increase IQ. And there's another way to get 12 IQ points. And this is a program I also bring my uh, executive clients through. It's called 40 Years of Zen. And there's a little info at 40yearsofzen.com about that. Uh, what this is, is you hook your brain up to a computer for seven days and you spend all day, every day using... 50 times a second feedback signals uh, to teach your brain to be in the same state as someone who's studied Zen meditation for their entire life. So if you meditated for an hour a day for 40 years, you can get to a certain brain state, or you can do it in seven days of incredibly grueling, intense workout where you train your brain to behave that way. The side effect there is another 12 IQ points. There are other ways to raise IQ, but I just talked about 24 IQ points that don't overlap between two different technologies, both of which involve computers, neither of which anyone knew about 25 years ago. Absolutely incredible stuff. And I mean, to me, to take 14 or 20 days, 20 minutes a day out of my life for, for that kind of benefit seems, it seems minuscule. I don't, I don't care how much the computer might batter me and think I'm, make me think I'm a loser. It's got to be worth it, you know. And something else that has to be worth it is Sleep, the issue of sleep, let's talk about that for a while because uh, I'm, I'm somebody who kind of, I reckon I need my seven to eight hours sleep every night. I know people who need up to 12 hours sleep every night. They can't function properly. However, since you managed to hack biology, four, five, six hours sleep a night max. Tell us about that. Well, I decided I would make myself fat again. I'm at high risk of being fat again, allegedly, because I was obese for the first half of my life. Right. So I turned on my 4,000 calories a day diet. I stopped exercising entirely. And I decided I would sleep five hours or less per night every single night in order to gain some weight. And I thought maybe after 60 days, I'll gain one or two pounds and I can write a blog post that says, look, I should have gained you know, 10 pounds because of all these extra calories, but instead I lost weight or I, I only gained one pound. What I didn't expect was that I would do that for two years straight. And what happened was that I was, because I was eating more calories, so I had enough fuel to stay awake longer, um, that I was able to function at a very high level. I was actually acting as a vice president at a large publicly traded internet security company while also starting the Bulletproof blog and raising a family. I have two young kids. So I, I basically was performing at the top of my game, um, both in my, my career as well as, as a, a blogger and as a dad. And I was able to do this on five hours of sleep. Why? Because you can train the body to sleep more efficiently. So you have some amount of light sleep, some amount of deep sleep, and some amount of REM sleep where you're dreaming. And light sleep doesn't serve you very well. What you want is mostly dreaming and mostly deep sleep where you're getting things like human growth hormone and physical repair. So the body will learn to sleep more efficiently. It also turns out that when your friends, you know, need their 12 hours of sleep, no, they don't. There's something biochemically wrong with them because one of the studies that really was, was transformative for me was what do you, actually it was a study, I'm trying to remember just the number of people. It was about 1.2 million people okay. slept for 
different amounts every night. And scientists tracked in the mid 80s, this huge amount of data, but they couldn't crunch the data. There was just not enough compute power for them to do it. So we only crunched the data a couple years ago and figured out this is scary, but people who slept six to six and a half hours a night live longer than people who sleep eight hours a night. And people who sleep 12 hours a night die way sooner than people who sleep five hours a night. What this means is that if you need 12 hours of sleep to function, you're sick and you need to figure out what's wrong with your metabolism or what's wrong with you so that you can get a normal amount of sleep. There is not evidence in this study, which is the largest study of its kind ever conducted, that eight hours of sleep is superior to seven hours. There just isn't any. There's also pretty good evidence that historically we never slept eight hours a night because we'd sleep a few hours, we'd wake up for an hour or two, and then we'd go back to sleep. In fact, there's good evidence that before the advent of electric lights and modern society, that was what everyone did. So you'd sort of wake up at one or two in the morning, you'd maybe journal, maybe pray, maybe have sex, and then you go back to sleep. And that this was normal human behavior for everyone yeah. until we kind of broke ourselves with lights. Okay, so that that's obviously a, a huge factor then. And because we've been conditioned and we've all grown up with that kind of technology available to us, it's assumed that that's the normal thing. But again, one of the, one of the uh, most fascinating lessons for me since I started doing Alchemy Radio is that so much of our past has been forgotten. And the key to improving ourselves seems to be to remember a lot of who we are and what we were about. And there's certainly, I think, um, in my experience anyway, growing up, and I think in the Western world, there's a propensity to automatically dismiss what came before. So if you go back 50 years, well, people at 50 years ago didn't know what was going on, really. We know much more now because technologically we might be superior. And that is exacerbated the further back in history we go. So I think you've, you've yet again, as another guest, kind of demonstrated that. So if we actually take some of the lessons from our past and apply them to now, it's almost like a quick fix or a quick hack to, uh, to learn something new about ourselves. So you're sort of asking, like, what is uh, what is a quick hack to learn something new? Or well, no, no. Just... What, what I'm saying is that that's an example, possibly, of a quick hack by applying the lessons of history and not always listening to everything that we're told and taking all our information from a secondhand source to actually look at and listen to our own body and respond to our own personal needs. Because I think deep down, all of us somewhere, even though we're not consciously aware of it half the time, we, we know what's right for us or we feel what's right for us and our bodies certainly do. And I think that's why our bodies respond in a negative way to so much of what is either put into them or what we're exposed to externally as well. Would, would you agree with that or would you have any kind of issue with it? I, I totally agree. Um, different people have different biological requirements and different, um, different things that, that make them feel good. So listening to yourself is more important than listening to the latest magazine or newspaper headline, which probably doesn't even reflect what the study they're writing about said. So you should honor how you feel first and foremost and use that as your guiding light. I couldn't agree more. I think it's great advice. So for people who are looking to take some positive steps in their lives, we've spoken at length, obviously, about Bulletproof Coffee, but not so much about diet and food. And gluten was mentioned, of course. And I think it's, it's becoming more and more... Um, fashionable to espouse gluten and people are discovering a lot of health benefits but there are some very some very interesting foods i've noticed um when looking at your diet plans and that kind of thing some of the charts and infographics that you have foods that we would assume are extremely healthy and extremely good for us that mightn't necessarily be the case for everyone can we talk about some of the diet uh not not necessarily fads but some of the dieting plans that people have and the misconceptions that they have around the food they put in their bodies that could maybe be addressed by having a look at your site, bulletproofexec.com, and some of the knowledge that it is that you've brought to the table. I would encourage people to check out bulletproofdietbook.com. If you go to that site and sign up, I'll send you the infographic, which is the foundation for the Bulletproof Diet book that's coming out in March. There's more than a thousand references that went into creating that infographic, and it's a very scientific approach to spelling out enormous amounts of information into a single thing you can print out and put on your refrigerator and it, it's free. So this is something that I give away because I think it's important people understand these basic things about how to control inflammation and how to turn off food cravings. Mm. So in order to come up with this infographic, it required a new understanding of nutrition. I've been a raw vegan. I've been a semi-vegetarian. I've eaten low fat. I've eaten low calorie. Uh, I've eaten you know, primarily vegetables and all these different things over the years trying to understand what worked and what didn't. I even went on a three-month period where I ate zero 
carbohydrates. I'd, I'd eat you know, one serving of broccoli a day and the rest was just fat and meat. And so I, I'm willing to be a human guinea pig to see what's going to work and what's going to happen. And the Bulletproof Diet spells out the things that work for the most people. And it's a roadmap that says these are the things that are less inflammatory. These are the foods that might be inflammatory. And these are the foods that are certain to be inflammatory. But because different people respond to different foods in different ways, there's also a free iPhone application, uh, which is called FoodSense. And this iPhone application looks at your heart rate before and after you eat, and it'll tell you whether you ate something that acts like kryptonite for you, something that you have a sensitivity to that you may not know about. Because if you're eating foods that your immune system reacts to, you will have inflammation throughout the day, and you could be doing this every day and never know it. Mm. If this is happening to you, you're operating at half speed all the time, and you have no clue. The cool thing is, it doesn't cost you anything to get the roadmap, which is the Bulletproof Diet, and it doesn't cost you anything to get the iPhone application, which is like the compass to let you navigate the roadmap to know if a certain food is helping you or harming you. Mm. But the rationale behind all this is that there's three things that have to happen in the right order for a diet to work. The first thing is you need to understand macronutrients, which is kind of the big scientific word that says, are you eating fat or carbohydrate or protein? The problem, as we've already discussed, is that different fats do different things. Different proteins and different carbohydrates do different things. High fructose corn syrup is not the same as mashed potatoes. They're both carbohydrate though. So I help you sort by those categories to understand which ones to choose. After you understand you've eaten the right amount of the right proteins and the right fats and even the right carbohydrates, although you don't want to eat too many carbohydrates, then you start looking at the next kind of the missing link in almost all diets. And that's something called anti-nutrients. Anti-nutrients are things that work against you that are in foods. So we're all fond of saying, for instance, oh, you should eat more kale. Kale has become sort of like this new uh, food that the good people eat. Here's the thing about kale. Kale doesn't want to be eaten. It is a plant. If it gets eaten, it doesn't reproduce. If it doesn't reproduce, its species is at risk. There's a reason lots of animals won't eat raw kale. They won't eat raw kale because it's full of an anti-nutrient called oxalic acid, which precipitates in your blood when it finds calcium to make tiny crystals. Tiny crystals that cause muscle weakness, tiredness, may be linked to autism and certainly are linked to a condition in women called uh, vulvodynia, which means painful sex. So eating a huge raw kale salad because you're such a good person every day actually exposes you to a bunch of anti-nutrients. The right thing to do to get rid of that anti-nutrient is cook your kale. Don't eat it raw. This is how your ancestors ate kale if they ate it at all. So... By looking at what natural defense systems plants have or animals have or fungi have or what chemicals we spray on our food, we can determine that foods have some positive benefits, but they also have negative benefits. And by avoiding the negative benefits, you, you actually feel better. And the final thing to look at is, are there vitamins and minerals in your food? Most diets will say, oh, vitamins, minerals, those are most important. So eat this food that's full of anti-nutrients, that's full of sugar because it has trace amounts of vitamins. In the EU, you always hear like it's a single word, fruit and veg, eat your fruit and veg. I'm here to just call BS on that. Okay. Vegetables are not fruit. Fruit is bags of watery sugar candy. That's what's in fruit. There's very few vitamins and very little fiber in most fruit. Do not add fruit to your diet. Fruit makes you fat and raises your triglycerides. Instead, add vegetables to your diet and use fruit sparingly as a dessert, preferably after dinner. If you do that, you'll magically find your blood chemistry improves, you lose weight, your risk of gout and type 2 diabetes go down, and you feel better. So fruit makes us fat. There are people currently screaming at the, uh, at the computers again. Th- no, come on, that can't be true. Dave, what do you mean? Fruit is good for us. Fruit and vegetables have to come together because they're not processed and they're, they're natural and they grow in the ground. So explain how fruit is going to make me fat. Belladonna grows in the ground too, and that stuff will kill you. <laughs> good point. So just because it grows in the ground doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just means it came out of the ground. But I tell you, if you were a plant, you would do everything evolutionarily possible to keep from getting eaten. Because when something eats you, you failed to propagate your species. The same way that you as a human being do everything humanly possible to not get eaten by a tiger. So 
why why do we consider that things that grow out of the ground should be good for us? No, some will be good, some will be bad. And that's really logical when you think about it. The thing about fruit is, uh, let's see, it's mid-November in uh, Northern Europe. What fruit is growing right now on trees? I can't really think of any. So it's not natural at all to be eating fruit now, is it? Well, you make a very good point. I don't have an answer to that question apart from no, well, it mustn't be. No, we were not meant to have a constant source of fructose year-round. If you did eat fruit when it was in season where you live during the summer, don't most animals put on fat during summer to get thin during the winter? Mm, yeah. That different. So if you want to have fruit when it's in season where you live, if you're in Hawaii, eat bananas and pineapple. Good, It's going to be fine. But if you're in Ireland... During the summer, I'm guessing you get cherries and apples and maybe a few stone fruits. Yeah. So eat those and enjoy them. But remember, they're only in season for a few weeks before they're done. And then normally throughout winter, what you would have is kind of slim pickings. So what you should not do, though, is tell your body that it's summer year round by constantly exposing yourself to high levels of fructose. Fructose, which is the sugar that's in fruit causes the most tissue aging in the body. So it causes a process called advanced glycation end product formation, which is what causes wrinkles in your skin and also ages the lining of your arteries. On top of that, fructose causes fatty liver disease and it converts to triglycerides in the liver. So when your body gets fructose, it says, oh my God, this stuff is like a toxin. I've got to, I've got to oxidize the toxin. I need some straight sugar, not fruit sugar, but actual sugar, or I need some fat in order to give my liver what it needs to process this fructose. Mm. And it gives you a food craving. If you don't believe me, have two apples for breakfast and nothing else. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get really hungry an hour or two later, and you're just going to feel like you can't think until you eat. This is your body going, please help me get rid of the fructose. If instead you ate those apples and you say, lightly cooked them in butter or poured a whole bunch of coconut milk on top of them, you're not going to experience the same food craving because your body had enough saturated fat for the liver to use to help oxidize and change the fructose into something less toxic. But better yet, don't eat the fructose. Eat berries. Berries have a lot less sugar than the high sugar fruits. So I see my friends, especially in, in England, They've been so brainwashed to believe that asparagus and broccoli are the same as, as oranges and grapes, that they're intentionally raising their sugar in the morning, which is the worst time to eat sugar, mm. in an effort to improve their health. And then they wonder why they have food cravings all day and they're getting fat. That's why. Fruit isn't really something that makes you thin. And we're slightly running out of time, but a couple of other issues, um, two other issues I would like to touch on if you've got the time, Dave. One is synthetic supplements. Um, a lot of people who aren't getting necessarily the nutrients that they're told they need from their food are spending huge amounts of money on supplements and vitamins and minerals, that kind of thing. What's your position on that? And what kind of, um, what kind of information have you uncovered over the years with regard to that? Good, bad, indifferent, or does it totally depend? There are a ton of supplements that are not synthetic. You know, they're concentrated from natural sources. Mm. And part of what I do at the Bulletproof Executive is I formulate unusually effective things that, that reduce inflammation or increase human performance. So you know, I have a vested interest or a bias here in that I've used supplements to recover my own physical and mental capabilities, ones I lost by eating the wrong foods and, and not understanding how my biochemistry worked. Right. So I, you know, just to put all that information out there, but there's a line of thinking around this. I know a lot of people who, who say a little bit self-righteously, oh, I get all my nutrients from my food and good luck with that. A couple friends of mine did a, a study recently and they looked at typical diets, including relatively healthy ones. And said, even on the healthier recommended diets out there, it takes about 28,000 calories to reach just the recommended amount of every single vitamin and mineral. So if you can eat a, a very healthy diet and you can eat 28,000 calories a day, you could get all your nutrients from your food. That's not going to happen. Mm. So also, then there's this other argument. You should only get your nutrients from, from food only if you only get your toxins from Mother Nature. Since all of us live in environments that are full of man-made chemicals and the air we breathe, the water we drink, the clothes touching our skin, and everything else, your liver and your body's detox systems are working at 
a frantic pace to detox things from modern life. You might want to support those systems with nutritional supplements instead of giving yourself a handicap that says, oh, I'm willing to have synthetic chemicals all around me and in me, but I'm only willing to fuel myself with nutrients from food, not knowing what nutrients my food has in it because my food is processed and it's been transported long distances and grown under conditions I don't know about. So let's face it. If you want to live a long time, you want to perform at your best, nutritional supplements are going to be there in your kitchen cabinet right next to your food. And that's how it's going to be. You don't have to like it. I don't particularly like it either. But since that's the world we live in, you can deny it and die sooner of degenerative diseases, or you can support your body to the very best of your ability. You'll feel better and you'll live longer for doing it. And speaking of feeling better and living longer, let's talk about sex for a minute because it's uh, prominent on the website. Sex can be improved. It can be enjoyed more all through uh, through the same methods. So uh, tell us a little bit about that before we go. I had an interesting interview on uh, Bulletproof Radio, uh, my, my health podcast, uh, with uh, one of the head researchers from uh, from One Taste, who was specifically studying female orgasm and ways to do this. Um, this isn't out of you know, kind of kinky, prurient interest. This is scientific exploration. Mm. I also ran a, a study and I, I published the results of it. This is an N equals one, in other words, a study of my own uh, my own results. Uh, but I was validating the the Taoist recommendations for men specifically. Taoism recommends that men ejaculate once every 30 days if they want to live for a very long period of time. And if they want to maintain their health but not really increase it, that there's an equation for the frequency of ejaculation. This is not for the frequency of sex. It's just that you can have as much sex as you want. You just don't ejaculate as often as you might want to. (laughs) So I... For about a year, ran a study. I said, all right, I'll, I'll follow the, the equation that says if I want to maintain my health, uh, how often should I ejaculate? At my age, the equation said that the, the frequency was once every eight days. So I found that despite what I would have expected, that my overall satisfaction with life, which I tracked on a daily basis, mm. went up um, pretty dramatically. And I found that there's a definite hangover that comes from ejaculation. The day after you ejaculate, you're less happy about everything (laughs) and you have less energy. (laughs) And it lasts two or three days. And I found that I would uh, actually, that I increased the number of times that I had sex, uh, which is good for your relationship, good for uh, women who should not be following these rules because they're different for women. And the ability to just look at that also let me look at a bunch of research around what Napoleon Hill and fighters and meditators and monks and all sorts of different spiritual or just high performance traditions have learned and forgotten over the years, which is that this is a huge variable for your health and your happiness, especially if you're a man. And by being aware of the effect of ejaculation versus sex, uh, just by being aware of the effect of that on your your neurochemistry and your biology, that you can improve the quality of your life and the quality of your relationships. So I, I write about things like that from that perspective where, you know, how, how do I use this knowledge to feel better or to put myself in a position to do more of the things that I'm here to do? I suppose the hope for everything is your website and your own podcast. So tell us how people can find out more because I've no doubt people will be clamoring to do just that. Well, the podcast is called Bulletproof Radio. We're number one ranked on iTunes in the, the health section right now. And if you go to bulletproofexec.com, the knowledge there is free. And if you go to the bulletproofdietbook.com, you can sign up to get the first chapter as soon as it's released, as well as an infographic that's also free. And what piece of information or advice would you have then for the casual listener who may be liking the idea of doing what it is that you're doing, but doesn't really know how to get started. Would you have any kind of motivational advice or what would the first step for them be just to tie things up? Go to the Bulletproof Executive website, bulletproofexec.com, and there's a a getting started section with the top six things you can do. And sometimes it's as simple as just upping your vitamin D levels so you get sick less. This is a very cheap, very fast thing to do. What if you got a week or two every year back 
instead of being bedridden and having the flu and feeling crappy, if you suddenly felt like yourself again and, and you got that time back to do what you wanted, every time you do something that increases your performance, it also gives you more energy to increase your motivation more or to do what you want. So this is kind of an investment that pays dividends very, very quickly. If you don't feel a bulletproof technique in one week, either it's not the right technique for you or you're doing it wrong because these are things that work very quickly and very dramatically. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Dave Asprey, it's been a great pleasure speaking to you on Alchemy Radio. I'm personally fascinated by your advice and I've already taken much of it on board. I'd be delighted if you come back and speak to us again in the future and thank you for joining me today. You got it, John. Anytime. Thank you. Alchemy Radio.
I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Alchemy Radio. Remember, we rely on your donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format, and we're extremely grateful for any help you can offer. We put no fixed cost on your donations, and every little helps. So, for example, if you could spare even the price of a sandwich or a cup of coffee every month, this would go a long way towards keeping us afloat. Our donate button is on the website, and your support and assistance is hugely appreciated. And thank you to everybody who has donated over the last few weeks. We couldn't do it without you. Our next guests on Alchemy Radio are Joy Camp, who many of you will know through their viral videos on YouTube and online. And we'll be talking about comedy and consciousness. It's going to be a very, very interesting chat, and I'm really looking forward to it. Until then, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio. Analyze. Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in?